Hi, everybody. AJ here to welcome our um, incredible guest that we have today. Really, a really awesome podcast with Haley Kalowski. She is the founder of Femme Financial Coaching, and she's on a mission to get more money in the hands of women. We love that. The goal of her business is to make financial literacy and education more accessible in hopes of closing the gender, race, and investing wealth gaps that exist. Her coaching helps women eliminate more money stress, gain financial clarity, and become confident creating wealth. Um, I personally had a session with Haley, and it was awesome. We went over my portfolio and things that I should be looking to invest in, and I cannot recommend you uh, listening to this podcast and checking her out more. Uh, enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to Everybody's Bad With Money, where we share stories and get real about personal finance. We make money talk fun. I'm Amelie. And I'm AJ. And we have Haley here today, the creator of Femme Financial Coaching. Uh, we are so excited to have you on the podcast. I don't think we've spoken to anybody about investing, so I'm super jazzed to have you. Um, but before we get into your current life, I'd love to know about your money story and um and what brought you to where you are today? Great question. Um, and everybody's money stories are so, so incredibly different. Mine is interesting in that, I don't know if you have read the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad before, where he grows up with like the two different, um, I guess, like looking at how, how you can go about two different ways to um, be with money. And that was kind of how I grew up. My, I had a mom who was really good with finances and a dad who just really wasn't. So I saw like what to do and what not to do. Um, and that really influenced me growing up. And I've always been, I guess, more money conscious and been a, a saver. And then um, as I got older, um, it just became more of a focus for me as well to become good at money because I never wanted to be in a position where I had to rely on anybody when it came to personal finances as well. Um, so that that's really what influenced me to start looking at money. And then a big one for myself um, is when I was coming out with like my sexuality and I was try like going between, you know, boys versus girls. And I'm like, everyone was talking about how, you know, marry the, the rich lawyer guy or the doctor guy or whatever, like find a guy who makes good money. And I was like, well, what if I don't end up with the guy? And then I started thinking, okay, well, what if I end up with a woman who have historically been in, you know, industries that pay a little bit less. So that also got me to thinking, like, I want to be the person who, you know, I don't have to rely on anybody that they can, you know, you know, I can support, you know, my partners as well. So that's a little bit about my background with, with money. So when did you start having like a curiosity for really understanding personal finance? I think I went a lot, similar when a lot of people do when they're faced with it in their probably early 20s or late yeah. teens, early 20s. And they're like, what the heck am I doing? And um, I was like that. And I had opened up a Roth IRA. And I think I, I had money in there for years. And it was just sitting there because I didn't know what to invest it in. It's like all this time. And I think a lot of people wait for someone to come in and teach them what to do with money. And I just kept waiting for somebody to come in. And nobody was coming in. So I was like, I need to learn how to do this on my own. Yeah, How did you absolutely. know to open up a Roth IRA? My mom was like, open up a Roth IRA. I was like, thanks, mom. But then what? Like, she didn't know. Like, there wasn't that. Like, yeah, she's good with money. But even she didn't know to be like, oh, like, choose stocks, you know? So did you have a Roth IRA that um, you had to manage? It was Yes. Got it. That's so funny. I, um, 
I have a friend who's a financial advisor and he told us that um, there was a woman who like had $300,000 that was not oh. invested. It was not in, it was not in the market. It was just sitting there. I hear this all the time in my coaching. People are like, I have it. I'm like, what's it invested in? And they look and it's not. And usually I'm able to catch it. The people who I coach are more in their 20s, early 30s, you know? So it's like I can catch it. But I have heard those stories of people who just didn't even realize and let it go for years. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So going back to your childhood, you said that your mom was really good with money and your dad wasn't. What did what did that actually look like? And what do you mean when you say good with money or bad with money? It's it's a t- different kind of mindsets. One one parent, my mom was like, I guess when it comes to like education, for example, I grew up and education in our house was a must. Both of my parents parents I think my mom for sure was the first one and only to go in her family and my dad I I can't remember if his I know his sister went but again like not not so much and so when it came time for school my mom's like you guys are going I'll pay for it I don't care if I have to work you know x amount of hours to like put you through college my dad's mindset was no let them take on all the debt in the world to to go and then um, so that was different. And then my mom's like, we got to plan for, you know, long term for future. And my dad's like, no, like YOLO kind of mentality. And fast forward to today. And realistically, my dad's probably going to have to work until very old. He doesn't have much of a retirement savings versus my mom will be retiring in a few years. So it's that kind of like spend it all, like not really under- wanting, like it's it's one parent who won't even look at the finances and the other one who wanted to talk. Obviously, they're not together still <laughs> because like you have to be on the same page when it comes to finances. But and you don't really realize these things as a kid either. Like you don't because they they kind of like in my household at least money wasn't really talked about. Yeah, it was it was stressful because we are in debt debt at some points of our lives and things like that. But they kind of like don't talk about it. So it's that balance of what do we let our kids know versus what we what do we not like what do we keep from them? I don't know how it was in your families growing up. Like, did you guys talk about money a lot with your your families? So for me, nope. <laughs> um, money was talked about all the time, but as wow. tension and stressful, and I knew the dollar of everything, and um, and it was always something to be like taken away from. Like, oh, this is how much your bat mitzvah costs. This is how much sleepaway camp costs. This is how much your school costs, and therefore, like, I'm going to hold that over you. Yeah, I knew the cost of everything growing up um but then i also had this delusional perspective that like you had to be like a gajillionaire in order to be successful there was like no middle ground because i grew up in on the upper east side of manhattan and i was like oh so you just have to be like super super rich in order to be successful and that's absolutely not true yeah what you do with your money it's not how much money you have yeah and then for me i Money wasn't really talked about. And similarly to you, my parents just kind of came from different backgrounds. I wouldn't necessarily say that one of them was bad with money. One of them was good with money. I think they both have like their strengths and weaknesses, but my mom is a huge spender. Whereas my dad is like, doesn't spend money ever. I think he's still, I don't think he's bought himself like a t-shirt in 10 years. And so it was just conflict growing up with money. Like I, I got, I grew up thinking money was really scary and that I didn't want to think about it or learn about it because it caused stress. So it's like, okay, in order to have a stress-free life, I'm going to not think about money. Whereas what I've learned 
in the last couple of years is that actually you have to plan and budget your money and that's how to how to live a stress-free life isn't that so crazy like like money is one of the top stressors especially for women because Mm -hmm. like we just aren't as educated in general and the stats show it with money and with financial literacy so a lot of people think like you know, I don't want to look at it. I don't want to think about it. I'm never going to understand it. And it's like flipping that script and changing it from a negative thing to something you can find power in and be positive around. So it's, it's so interesting though. Like I always ask it in my coaching, like what, it, how did you grow up? What kind of background did you have with money? How do you feel? And everyone's response is so a lot, mostly it's like, we didn't really talk too much about it. I don't know. So it's very interesting how it impacts you growing up too. Yeah, 100%. So what actually inspires you to become a coach, become a financial coach? I, I mean, I spent years going through every book I could, every YouTube thing, every podcast I could learn. And I realized pe- like people just don't know this stuff. And I wish I had somebody at the beginning to be like, just do this, like, just do that. And then this, and like, I wish I had a coach basically. Um, so I started educating myself on like financial literacy and statistics behind it and like how women especially people of color lgbtq have more financial challenges that they're going to face and i was like this is a problem i know i have the education to help solve it so i started off coaching very like i coached the women in my office like i did a a, a talk for them um and then from there i got a lot of people reaching out um, just asking for coaching as well. So I basically coached for free for a very long time until it got to the point where I'm like, I need to, you know, be charging for this because it's a lot of time and putting into it. Um, and that's how I got really into coaching. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of taken off from there. Um, what do you do in your day job? I'm a, a headhunter for a global recruiting firm. So I work, I negotiate a lot of like, large compensation packages. I'm always selling our services to potential clients. I'm working with candidates, doing a ton of offer negotiation, contract negotiation. So I work with like both men and women, but a lot. Um, So that also fuels like the finance coaching. I do a little bit of career negotiation coaching as well, because part of your money journey is like learning your worth and learning how to level up in your career and asking for more. So they do kind of tie in hand in hand. Yeah, absolutely. That is one of my favorite things to talk about, just like negotiating for yourself oh, yes. and, and valuing yourself. I have a, a history with recruiting as well. I'm not a recruiter anymore, but I've definitely worked with recruiters as a recruiter. And it's um, it's a really interesting area. And like exactly what you said, I feel like women especially and like people of color, like it, we are just not taught this and it's like not a part of our education. And so I think it's so important to really teach people those skills. Um, so I'm wondering like if you have any tips or tricks for people as they're, as they're getting ready for a negotiation or advocating for themselves for a promotion, I don't think that's actually something that we've talked about on the podcast yet. I could do a whole hour on negotiation, but just some big things is like, I just, I think as women in general, we need to just be a little bit more open about and transparent about what we're making. I think it's so hush hush, but like, that's how we're going to close the wealth gap is if we just are able to talk a little bit more openly about money because I hear people, that's how I negotiated my raise. I heard people in the office with less experience than me were making more money. And I, I literally went to my director. I'm like, I shouldn't know this, but I do. I'm not getting paid at the 
to what other people are doing. So what comes with that with negotiation, if you don't know what others are being paid is do research, do market research. And then you want to like preparation is key for negotiation, yeah. like key, key, key. Um, you want to know like, because it's not just negotiating for a base. Yes, that's huge. We want the base, but there's so much in, a, in an off, like in an either an offer or in a promotion they can negotiate. Work from home days, um, extra vacation benefits, extra bonus, performance bonuses, all this stuff. So you want to go in knowing your reach number, your good with that number and your walk away number. And then as women as well, like women and people of color, it's, it's been shown that men are hired and promoted based off of potential. Even if they haven't done it before, they're like, I see you could do this role here, try it versus women and people of color are promoted and, um, and hired based off of what they've done before. So knowing this, if you're thinking about asking for a promotion, you need to have your numbers down. What value have I brought to this company? Because they're going to ask and they're going to be doubting you. Yeah. For sure. So yeah. you need to have your stats. I totally agree. It's something I work on with my clients all the time. So I'm like, you're not going into your, your, uh, that meeting blinds. Like you need to like have metrics because yeah. they don't care that you like, you know, like fix the toilet paper in the bathroom. They want to know like what you did to increase revenue for the company. Yep. It's the same thing for like interviews. I know we're going off topic. We're supposed to be talking about money, but it's not like, related it's though. All, this is money. You know, <laughs> like people go into interviews and they're like, oh, I'm a recent grad, but I know I'm going to try hard. It's like, no, well, you're going to get hired based off of the value you bring in and the time and the money you're going to save somebody. Right. Yeah, so yeah, if you're, absolutely. if you're going into it like that, how are you going to change your interview style and change your resume showing that you're going to save these people time? and add value. Like that's what we need to think about when we're interviewing, when we're asking for promotion is like my time, because I'm doing this role, I'm saving you guys money and value. And I know this for myself, I make my company a lot of money. So I brought that up like in my, in my negotiation too. And I tell everybody the same thing. What have you done? What can, what are you going to keep doing? Totally. I, um, a big thing that I also work with people, clients on is, um, that, they need to figure out what they want to do next. They, they not to wait for their boss to tell them what they're going to do next. Um, and from that beginning conversation of like, if, if there isn't room for negotiation financially, let's just say it's like, okay, well, we are going to revisit this in six months. And I also want like to reconsider my job title and that, cause I'm working towards this. Back up. Yeah. Huge. You're exactly, exactly correct. I do the same. Yeah, yeah. How do you do that with client, like with, um, in your job? Do you, um, are you like, this is the role that you're going into, but I think you could be this. Like, do you kind of like do a little coaching? It really depends. Like I, as a recruiter, like we get paid based off of the person's base salary. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm always trying to push them to go for the higher number as well. And so like, I have, like, if you have, if you're working with a recruiter, this is also what is so beautiful is that I think clients value candidates coming from us because they know they have to pay for it so they're like i'm like they they take our candidates a little bit more seriously so if you get them to the offer stage like always go for that base but if the client's being stint like not not budging like i want my candidates to also be excited about the opportunity so i do exactly what you do i said okay we we didn't get the title or the comp we want i want you to go back and ask them 
Um, in six months, can we have a review hitting these certain KPIs, these metrics? If I hit them, can we put this back on the table? That kind of deal. Love it. Yeah, that's so great. Um, and then, so I know that we wanted to talk specifically with you about investing. So um, can you tell us a little bit about like, first of all, what got you interested in talking to people about investing specifically? And um, how do you kind of bridge teaching people about investing without telling them exactly like how and where to invest? Great question. Um, so, so the first thing is you asked me was like how I got into investing. Is mm -hmm. that right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> so this is funny. I'm, um, I went to, I, you, you know, in your life where you just have these moments and you're, it's like, that was like, actually might've been life changing. Like looking back <laughs> on it, you have these yeah. little things. Yep. Well, I went to a girl boss rally. This sounds so cheesy, but it was so powerful. Actually, it was in LA back in, I don't know, 2017 or 2018. And I had the opportunity to see Sally Krawcheck talk for this speak for the first time. Awesome. If you know her mm -hmm. CEO of Elevest. And, and I, and I had been just waiting for someone to show me how to invest. I knew it was so important at that time. I had, I'm not even tell you how much money I had just sitting in my checking account at, at Chase. It was oh my bad. God, tell us. <laughs> I had about I had about 64 grand sitting in my checking account at Chase. Oh my God. Not investing. I wasn't eligible for my 401k just yet because it was a year. And um and my Roth IRA I told you I didn't know how to invest that. And I was like, how and I'd always been like, I want to teach women how to invest, but I didn't even know how to invest. And I saw her speak about Elevest and I was like, it was like light bulb. I couldn't even, I can't even tell you. I saw her. I saw Haley Sachs, who runs Mrs. Dow Jones speak. Mm -hmm. I saw Nicole Lappin speak in this conference, who does Rich Bitch, um, her book. And so all of those three, I like immediately was like, like, I just started listening to what they were saying. And because up to that point, I'd been reading like Tony Robbins and things that didn't reflect, like relate to me. You know, and right, so I wasn't yeah. catching it. I wasn't like understanding that it wasn't like speaking my language when I heard these women speak about it. it. And I was like, I think it's the same for a lot of women is the finance industry is so catered towards white males and their relationship to, to money. And now I feel like there's so many more like amazing women getting into finance and, and it's such a supportive community. I can't even tell you. But when I was trying to learn it, I didn't know any, I didn't see any of these resources. And so, um, and then how to bridge the gap of telling them how to invest without telling them what to invest in. So I disclose to every client of mine that I'm not an advisor, so I cannot tell them what to invest in, but I just show them stats of, of like, I, I show them what a stock is. I show them how to buy a stock. I show them what a bond is, how, if they want to buy that, which I usually don't advise so much for people in their twenties and thirties, just cause they have more time for stocks or whatever. Um, I show them what an ETF is. I show them what an index fund is, how to buy all of them. I literally walk them through and then I show them the historical performance of different funds. So by doing that and talking about asset allocation and showing them, like I still use Elevest. I just show them what Elevest also invests my money in and, and I explain why. And I also will, in my um, sessions, I pull up their 401ks with their employers because nobody knows what their employer invested their 401k is. Literally, nobody does it. Yeah. I make them pull it up and I walk them through every single fund. And I tell them the, the benefits and then say, oh, this might have a, a high management fee. It's a little bit more handoff, but 
if we do a little bit more hands-on, just so you know, you'll avoid that management fee and things like that. So I don't tell them what to invest in, but I show them a lot of options. And by the end of it, they're like, I know what I should be doing. That's incredible. My goal, sorry, to my goal just as a coach is to get people to the point where they don't need me anymore, where they can be self-sufficient and just That's do all this on their own. So it's like the whole Nanny McPhee thing. Like, if you want me, but don't, or if you need me, but don't want me, then I'll be there. If you want me, but no longer need me, then I must go. <laughs> that's, uh, that's always what I say. My goal is that you don't need me. Um, that's incredible. That is really uh, unique and needed. Um, yeah. Really especially needed. because like I, my passion is like literally getting into the minute day-to-day -day numbers with people on their day-to-day -day spending and getting them to understand ha their habits and their mental and then it's like then I'm like okay go off into the world and like figure out and then that's really where you come in and you're like I'm going to teach you how to like really take because for most financial advisors one they're not educating you and two if you don't have a hundred thousand dollars to play with they don't care about you yeah yeah so and it's and just on that note too is like oh, there's so many people who've been turning to TikTok for financial advice and there's for every one great account on TikTok there's like 10 bad ones that are like just buy this stock buy buy crypto buy this and it's like they're they're giving you the fish without teaching you how to fish kind of thing as cliche yeah. as that sounds it's like you can buy those stocks but do you know why can you replicate why like that person might understand why they're buying these things but you don't understand it so it's like really building that foundation educating them on the market like for me i also want my clients to become so savvy because i feel like people don't listen to the news don't listen to what's going on in the market and the media has so much impact on the market like if they say something something's going on in politics you know the stock market will probably be if it's if it's like shaky in politics the market will be shaky. Is it a buying opportunity? I want them to become very well-rounded like individuals and start understanding that what's going on around them is affecting their money. So, yeah. yeah. I, um, I have so many, I like want to ask some like specific questions if that's cool um, on some of your thoughts. So um, I was advised on um, certain stocks that if they get to a point where they're like, um, they're the most, uh, they're the largest stock in my portfolio that I should sell off some of the shares that I, my initial investment. Um, but I feel attached to the stock and I don't want to. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? And um, it's something that I've been reading a lot about where they're like, it's the safe thing to do. It, ma it makes sure that you're, you don't like flood your portfolio with too much of one thing. But then I'm like, but yeah, so I just want to know your thoughts on that theory. And I can't remember the name of that theory. It's called rebalancing, I believe, right? That's what you're talking about, like rebalancing your portfolio? I guess. Um, so That sounds right. Um, like, it's, it's something that I definitely need. So this is something also uh, that I'll just say right off the bat is like, I'm, I know, I, I know, I only know so much, right? I'm not like perfect in all of this. So I, I believe it's called rebalancing and I would, I would do a, what kind of feels right to you. I don't know where you, like where you got that information from, but um, the, the idea that they're trying to tell you is like, you don't want to have it too much weighted probably in like one sector or one industry, because if that tanks and that's kind of where you have all your eggs in that basket kind of deal. So you do want to keep it a little bit more balanced between the sectors, 
a little bit. But again, I, I don't do too much individual stock investing. I do a lot more ETF and index fund, which which I feel is, is naturally regulated because a, in order for a company to like, I invest, for example, primarily in the S&P 500, it self-regulates. For a, a company has to hit certain metrics to be on that list. So right. it's kind of like regulating itself in a way. And then as I get older, I'll probably start picking up more bonds. That's how I'm going to be like reallocating stuff in the future too. I personally haven't really done too much like selling of anything in my portfolio just yet. Full transparency. Yeah, I so love it. I might not be the best person for that question. So why are you not at your age investing more in stocks? I am. So ETFs are baskets of stocks. So I'm Sorry, investing I in stocks. Individual, individual, right? I do. I just like I'm a very what's called, so I'm a very passive investor. I'm like set it, forget it, like. And for example, the S&P 500 has returned an average of 13.884% for the past 10 years, right? So just wow. money in the S&P 500, I am getting those returns of about 13.84%. My portfolio, for example, returned over 30% last year alone, because I do have individual stocks as well. But the majority of mine, I would say like 80, 85% is in index funds and ETFs. Um, and then I'll buy the the individual stocks here and there, like the hot ones that people are talking about, even though they say don't just like pay attention to the hot stocks. I like to. I'm, I'm also like, I follow like what's going on in politics, right? So like that renewable energy stocks I ha I've been picking up, like stuff in sustainability, stuff in, uh, shoot, what's it called? Um, printing, 3D printing, um, cannabis, I'm keeping my eye on. I don't know how that one will go yet. I have some crypto. So I still do play around with like individual stuff, but the core of my portfolio is in these more passive investments. And um, yeah, I had something else to say, but I'm blanking. It'll come back to me. Oh, sorry. I, I do remember the, the kind of there's like the two ways to invest is like the day trading, which is trying to beat the market. The more passive people, we just want to match the market. Like really, and then the market's doing these returns. That's what I'm trying to aim for. That's what our portfolios will, will do as well. Yeah, I think you touched on something else that's really interesting. It's like, this is one of my most interesting things about investing to me personally is investing in line with your values. And I'm wondering if you can touch on that a little bit, because I know you talked about like investing in sustainability and renewable energy. So if somebody's really interested in investing, but they want to make sure that they're investing in things that they value and companies that they believe in, like what's the best way to really make sure that that's happening? Well, look up the companies that they believe in because you can always just pick up shares of those, but it's called impact investing. Elevest right. does a really good job with this. They can put your entire portfolio in companies that are serving women, like people of color, more sustainable companies, you know, not companies that are supporting like, you know, guns and things like that. So it's, it's again, it's more impact investing. Mm -hmm. um, so it just requires a little bit more research. What comes with that is like, okay, I'm making an impact, but you also want to make sure your, you know, profits are there too with these companies. Like, so that's, that's big, but I mean, renewable energy is, is definitely like a, a good industry right now to be looking yeah. at potentially investing in. Definitely. Um, if, what is the difference in your opinion between setting up a portfolio with Chase versus Elvis, um, and, um, and if you're versus if you're a passive investor or if you're managing your account, does it matter? Okay. So there's two ways to invest, a couple ways to invest, but the first thing is, do you, you have to ask yourself, do I want to be more hands-on with my investments? In which case you probably for like a Roth IRA, 
um, want to go through like Vanguard, Fidelity, uh, Charles Schwab. If you want to be more hands-off and have like an online financial advisor do a pick your portfolio for you, like an LFS, a Wealthfront Betterment, what they do is they'll do a little quiz at the beginning, ask you your age, your income, your goals, like when you want this money by, and then they will choose your portfolio for you. And basically, they just invest it all in ETFs, primarily in VTI, which is the total stock market index fund, some emerging markets, some developed markets, small cap, mid cap, a little bit of bonds, a little bit of REITs. That's how they do it for you. So if you already know that that's how I should be identified balancing my portfolio you can also do that on your on your own and avoid the fees but you have to like for people who are listening to this and they're like what the heck did she just say <laughs> let me break it down one step further if you have no idea where to start robo advisors are a great option you can always change it to a more hands-on option like a vanguard fidelity etc in the future once you learn and educate yourself more did that help yeah yes totally this, this is like my favorite thing to talk about. <laughs> and then um, what would be like the downside of having, of using one of those platforms like Betterment or Elvest? Like what, what is the downside of having somebody kind of do it for you? Well, first off, the, 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 the upsides are, I think, way outweigh the downsides. I'm just going to preface it like yeah. that. Like you're investing when it comes to finance, the best thing you can do for yourself is automate as much of this stuff as you can. So even prior to investing, like we didn't touch on what to do prior, you want to build a solid financial foundation. What that means is high interest debts paid off. And those usually are automatically paid every single month, but, but a little bit more strategy going in and paying off debts that have really high interest first, if you can building up that emergency fund, ideally in a high yield savings account. So it's earning you a little bit money. I know it's not that much, but it's better than a traditional bank. Automate that too. If you're struggling with savings, set it up to automatically take out of your checking account, account, put it into your savings, and it'll build up month after month. That same kind of mindset you want to apply to investing too. The easier you can make on investing on yourself, the better. So robo advisors do a really good job of you setting up saying, okay, I every month to do $100 out of my account or 50 or 200 or 500 or whatever, you could set it up for twice a month, weekly, monthly, whatever you want. So it's a very easy way to get investing with minimal effort. But again, the downside is it charges about a fee of about 0.25. So if you're doing these things on your own, you're picking these like passive investments, like the Vanguard total stock market index fund, or the S&P 500, those management fees are at 0.03%. That's their expense ratio. So for every $10,000 invested, it's like three bucks a year or something. So very, very low. Then the mid-tier is that um, robo-advisor where they're charging about 0.25%. Still not horrible, right? You could, And there's so many of these advisor fee calculators. Now, the last option is people, when people go to the financial advisors, I don't recommend a financial advisor unless you're like, older you have like a ton of money like you were talking about before when you're young you don't need a financial financial advisor why because you just don't have that much money to be advised on you know so might as well learn it on your own and they charge like i've seen my clients who've come to me who have financial advisors have fees of about 1.35 to 2.35 like it's a pretty hefty management fee wow so advice for anybody listening if anybody charges you over one percent like Go run. Yeah. run. Yeah. Like <laughs> run, that's scream, the, that's the gold there. standard is 1%. And anything more than that is just robbery. Walk away from the computer. Um, <laughs> so basic, basic question. What is in a portfolio? 
stocks, bonds, REITs, crypto, and then you decide how you want to allocate it. So even more specific, like, would you consider your 401k in your portfolio? Okay, so um, good question. So I think it would be better to talk about this in order of importance for investing, like how to how to get the most benefit and pay the least amount of taxes. Mm. So I'll walk through just like what order, because and, and, and to preface this, I'm sure you both have friends who started investing and they went straight to Robinhood, right? Everybody knows people oh, yeah. who are super into Robinhood. And I, I think Robinhood gets a lot of shit because of Robinhood. We don't pay fees on, uh, there used to be a lot of like trading fees involved. They got rid of like these fees because everybody tried to keep up with them. Right. Yeah. And Robinhood makes it so easy to invest literally like my kid brother can do it. Right. Which is good. And it's bad. But when you go to Robinhood first, before you go to your employer 401k, before you go to a Roth IRA, before the HSA, you are getting taxed on two at two points because the money going in, you've already paid taxes on. And then when you sell, eventually you're paying taxes again. Versus if we start with your employer 401k or 403b, um, you're only getting taxed at one point, you're paying taxes at the end. The Roth, you're taxed at the beginning, but then your money grows tax-free, you're taking it out tax-free at the end. And the HSA is the little trick in the finance world where the money goes in tax-free, grows tax-free, and then comes out tax-free for qualifying medical expenses, which there's like over 33,000. And then once you hit 65, whatever you haven't used for health reasons, you can use it for whatever you want and it's taxed just like a traditional IRA. So you're taxed at the end, but it's like another retirement vehicle. So if we're going straight to the Robinhood, we're just paying a little bit extra taxes when you don't have to. And people's um, argument to that is, well, what if I need the money before then? Right. So I'm not saying don't do the taxable. Just know your investing goals. Like the biggest expense you're ever going to have in your lifetime is going to be retirement. And the earlier you hit that number for retirement, well, guess what? The earlier you can retire. So if you're taking your money out of these investment accounts before you're kind of ready to retire, you're not giving your money the full potential to grow. And then also, though, if, if you're still like, no, I still want that money earlier, the Roth IRA will be your best bet because you can take out your contributions at any time and um, you can use the Roth IRA even earnings towards a house, I think up to like 10K of it and towards education as well. So it's a little bit more flexible than the 401K. So um, I would look at those first. I forgot the question, but hopefully that was helpful. <laughs> no, that was helpful. No, that was, yeah. Do you work your, with What's in your portfolio? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yes, do you work with clients on setting up um, college funds? Um, 529s? I love the the 529s or 529s. Who knows what it's called? <laughs> um, because there's a lot of tax advantages. Most of my clients in full transparency don't have kids. I have a couple who do and I tell them to definitely look into the, the 529s um, because of the tax benefits for them and for their kids education and for the investment purposes because you can invest that money in there too. So yes, definitely if you have kids, look into it. Awesome. Um, I have a question that is going down a different track, but I'd love to know how you balance being a financial coach and also working a nine to five. Um, personally, I find it pretty difficult, but you know, it's all about balancing and, and time management, but I'd love to hear how that is for you and how you, you make it all work. So this is a very loaded question. And up until this week, I would have told you I've been fine, like whatever, but like this past weekend, and I don't know if it's just like I'm PMSing or if it's like actual, this is really getting to me, but 
um, it's been kind of kind of hard, and I'm I'm trying to balance with um, like that. Do I open up more spots, but will that cut into the me time? Because you need to focus on yourself. Because if you're not taking your care of yourself mentally, emotionally, physically, you're not bringing a hundred percent to your client or to your nine to five, and that's not fair for anybody. So um, I'm still working on it. I. Um, I'm working with like my, my personal, like my boss is very supportive. Um, so he's, he's like, hasn't been on me so hard while I'm getting, I'm like getting my stuff together. But, um, I think the biggest thing, like if you're looking at taking on, um, a side project as big as these things that we're taking on are, it's like, you have to really believe in it. You know, if you don't believe in it, then the times where it's feeling a little bit heavy, it's going to be really difficult. And then. I'll be honest here too. Like I ended a pretty big relationship last year. It was like a four and a half year long relationship. And I put a lot of energy and time into that. And with that not being a thing anymore, like I've had more time to devote towards this side hustle. And it's why I think it's ramped up a little bit quicker too. If I, if I get back in a relationship, I'm going to have to readjust again, you know? So it's like things that, that are working for me now might not work in the future kind of deal. So it's really like, take it day by day, week by week. And, and don't, don't be uh, afraid, I think, to, to reach out to people for help or just to say, like, I'm taking this day off, like, I need a me day. Because, again, you've got to take care of yourself first. I don't know if that helped. <laughs> <laughs> no, it totally does. I think that's a really good response. Um, amazing. Well, we loved chatting with you, AJ. Do you have any final questions before we let Haley promote herself? Um, yes, we like to uh, ask all of our uh, guess if they could describe their relationship with money in one word, what would it be? Oh, I didn't know if I prepared, um, relationship <laughs> with money in one word. <laughs> the first word that comes to mind is just like, this is going to, is, is grateful because for me, money provides so much opportunity and, and like choices. If you start when you're younger, like we, if you're, you know, you're listening, you're trying, to, to start like you're going to open up so many doors for, for yourself in the future because in the future like my whole the reason why what keeps me going with nine to five with side hustle is like I want to become work optional one day mm-hmm. like I want to have a family one day and and have the choice of whether I want to stay home with them for extra time and not be, have to be forced to go back to a nine to five because I planned when I was younger for these for these moments you know so I'm grateful that I found financial literacy that I you know, was kind of like pushed into it. Um, and, and uh, I'm grateful, like I have a good relationship with money as well. And that I, I found like this community who also shares the passion for it as well. So hopefully that helps. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's a perfect transition. Um, the second question we always ask people is three things that we're grateful for. So you already kind of started. Um, but we definitely believe that gratitude is the antidote to, to so many things. Um, so we'd love to hear three things that you're grateful for. And then of course, we'll, we'll go after you. Um, I am grateful right now, non-money wise that co like, so 2020 impacted, it set a lot of people back and it propelled a lot of people forward. I was lucky enough to be propelled forward as a result of it. I, without it, I don't think I would have started Fem financial coaching because I just didn't have the time. I was living in LA. I had a lot of friends down there. We were going out. I had my nine to five. I was, it was always in the back of my mind, but I just didn't have the time. But when I wasn't, so I'm grateful that, that it 
afforded me the time to do that, that I didn't lose my nine to five with it. So I had the flexibility of not having to stress out and find another work and deal with all the emotions that came behind that. Um, I'm grateful that it's taken off the way it has. um, And it's gotten really good, led me to really great opportunities, a lot of great speaking opportunities, and brought me a really good community. And then, um, yeah, just just grateful to be on the show with you. So thank you guys (laughs) for having me. Oh my God, of course, of course. AJ, do you want to go next? Sure. Um, I am grateful for um, COVID as well. COVID was a really, it, it pushed me into a space where I was like, I, I really want to be living in my, I feel my purpose, which is helping people with their finances. Um, and I'm really grateful for my, the community of not just out there that I didn't even know existed, but also like my little beyond the green community. It's, it's just really incredible how many people I get text messages like all the time of like, as simple as I opened up a Roth IRA too, as, as like you changed my life. And so I'm so grateful for um, all of the people that I've been interacting with the last two and a half years that I've been open for business. And the third is I am grateful for um, leftover food that I'm going to have. <laughs> I love it. Alrighty, I will go. Um, I'm grateful for technology for allowing us to have these conversations. Where are you located, Haley? So I'm normally in LA, but right now I'm in Sacramento at my mom's house. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, we got DC, Boston, LA. Like we're all over the world, and we're we're still connecting like this. It's great. Um, I'm grateful for tea because it keeps me caffeinated, <laughs> and I'm grateful for my partner. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm just realizing we also need to give you time to promote yourself, oh, Haley. Yes. So we'd love to hear where people can find you. Anything you'd like to promote, uh, please promote away. Um, they can find me on Fem Financial Coaching. Uh, my DMs are open. I do complimentary sessions, like 15 minute sessions to see if coaching is right for you. Um, and if we're right for each other. And so that's the best way to get in touch with me or from financialcoaching.com. Well, it was so fantastic having you. Thank you so much for, for coming and sharing. Of course. Some awesome Thanks, Haley. And thank you for listening to Everybody's Bad With Money. This podcast was presented by Beyond the Green Coaching. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and our website, beyondthegreencoaching.com. We offer private, group, and couples uh, coaching. We also do corporate um, offerings, financial wellness, um, and you can check us out on all platforms. Amazing. Amazing. Thanks, Haley. Thank you so much. Of course. Thank you both. Bye.